Welcome back to Podcast 77 of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at The Ozbreakers and follow us on social media slash The Ozbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by The Season. For the best contests in all of sports, please visit www.thesn.com slash OB. Play for thousands of dollars with thousands of people across the world. If you want to support the Ozbreakers and benefit from our premium plays, please visit theozbreakers.com, click shop, and become a member. Pick any of our winning cappers. You get the premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com. And if nothing else, please visit the Ozbreakers and become a free picks and telegram subscriber. You can also visit our Discord channel from the website and become a member there. We'll start releasing some of our free plays early via Discord before they come out on the website. We have a great show for you today because Gamlu from the Bout Business Podcast and Gamlu.com is coming on to break down some UFC 294. I cannot wait to get into this amazing card. But before Lou comes on, I'm going to do my normal NFL run through the games, and give out some plays, including your Refuse to Lose teaser that is now 5-1 for the 2023 season. Leaving off right from where we were last year at 11-6, the teasers have been crushing it. But before I even start that, I'm going to get into, just like I did in college football, some NFL football trends season to date. Starting out, away teams have been doing amazing. 46 and 47, 49.5%. That is pretty insane for away teams. They're usually around 35 to 40% in the NFL. And here we are at almost 50% for away teams. And this is just straight up favorites. 61 and 32, meaning dogs are 32 and 61. So favorites are 65.6 straight up, and dogs are 32 and 61, 34.4%. Away favorites, 26 and 12 at 68.4%. It's interesting. The away favorites are doing uh, better than the home favorites. Home favorites are 63.6% at 35 and 20. Home dogs, 12 for 26, only at 31.6% in the NFL. That's a little bit low. Away dogs, 20 and 35 at 36.4%. Away dogs doing a little bit better than home dogs, which is interesting. Now for against the spread. Away teams are 41 or 47, 41 and 5 at 53.4%. If you bet all away teams, you've been profitable. Obviously, the fact that they're winning so many games straight up, almost at 50%, tells you that that's going to be on the plus side here. Uh, home teams are 41 and 47, obviously on the opposite, 46.6%. Favorites are 47 and 41 and 5 at 53.4%. Maybe that's why the public has been crushing it at a 60% level. Dogs are 41 for 47 and 5, 46.6%. Away favorites, they're doing well. Uh, 
21, 15, and 2, 58.3% if you're betting away favorites, away dogs, about even, 26, 26, and 3. But home favorites are 26, 26, and 3 on the opposite there at 50%. And home dogs, abysmal, 15, 21, and 2 for 41.7%. Kind of shows you that home dogs are not getting that big home field advantage push that, you know, people try to think of and they factor into the line and it kind of tells you that the public betters beating the sharp better sharp betters tend to gravitate towards home dogs a little bit more than others now obviously situation based but those are the numbers but the biggest thing for me is the totals the totals in non-overtime games overs are 32 and unders are 54 The unders this year are 62.8%. Last week, they went 13-2. There was some weather involved, but still, all games, uh, overs are 36 and 56 for 60.9% because the overtime games, uh, four overs and two unders. So you expect a little bit more overs in overtime games, but it's only at 66.7%, not like the 80 to 90% that we see in college, of course, small sample of overtime games, only six of them so far. So there you have it. Those are your trends up to date through NFL Week 6. All right, now it's time to get into a little NFL Week 7 for your Sunday football betting pleasures. Going to skip the Thursday game because obviously when you get this show, the Thursday game would have passed. I definitely lean the Jaguars. Even though the numbers are very close, I think the Jaguars just had a bad start. And I also think that the Saints having the 32nd strength of schedule is something to pay attention to. Uh, The Jacksonville Jaguars have had the 10th rated strength of schedule from the sites that I like to use. And I think that still factors in pretty significantly, especially here early in the season. But either way, that's a lean. We'll see if Trevor Lawrence plays tonight. Let's get into the next game, which is no more London games, at least. You have to get up early. But you have the Detroit Lions at the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens are minus three. The total is 42.5. So this line got a little out of hand, in my opinion. Now, the Ravens, on paper, are one of the better teams. Um I have the Ravens as maybe a top six or seven team. I'll check right now where I have Baltimore. I have them eighth, actually. Um, I could make an argue for seventh, but to be honest with you, I have Detroit as currently with the health of the NFL as my third best team. I had to upgrade them a little bit over Philadelphia that's been a little bit broken down lately and a little bit over Miami that just has not shown the defense you know Buffalo's also been bad uh with injuries on defense as well now the Lions are banged up but there's a lot of guys that are questionable so I assume some of them are going to play Jameer Gibbs has been out for a while with a hamstring he was a limited limited participant in practice on Wednesday I do expect him back. I do expect David Montgomery to not be back this week. He has a rib injury. I'm thinking he's not going to be back for a couple weeks. But Craig Reynolds, the running back, uh, 
also has a little bit of a hammy, but he did pretty well last game. So I do expect him to win, uh, play. And I also expect Brian Branch to come back on safety. So they're not that banged up here in Detroit, but Baltimore, uh, they're a bit banged up as well. You know, as you know, they lost uh, Tyus Bowser. Uh, he still has yet to return to practice, the linebacker there. Uh, obviously, Ro- Roquan Smith has been maybe the best middle linebacker in the league so far, so that's working for them. But they have a couple other linebackers that are all this is questionable, kind of the same deal with limited in practice. Safety, Marcus Williams has a hamstring himself, so he's, it's going to be a little bit tougher uh, for them if they're going to be out on safety because Daryl Worley has been on injured reserve, their cornerback, and Kevin Seymour has been uh, ruled out from the remainder of Sunday's game. We'll see if he can even make it back for this game against the Lions, who has an amazing passing offense. As far as the numbers are concerned, you got to give the edge to the Lions on offense. They rank fifth in EPA per play. Success rate at 46%. They are uh, able to run the ball as well. Uh, the rush EPA isn't quite as good at number 11, but their dropback EPA is uh, at number five themselves. Their success rate is number seven. Well, you have Baltimore that has a pretty good success rate because of Lamar's legs on offense, but their EPA per play hasn't been quite as good. They rank kind of in the middle at 14th at EPA per play. They have some hiccups, and they certainly can turn over the ball at times in inopportune situations. The defense itself, the Ravens have been showing very well, ranking number two in defensive success rate and defensive EPA. So they're fantastic, but Detroit's defense has been amazing too. They went from the worst rushing offense to the best rushing offense literally in a year. You know, they completely fixed it off. And, it, and when I say rushing, I'm talking from a yards per play. Their rush EPA is seventh in the league. But, I mean, that's still better than Baltimore's at eighth. So, you know, if you're looking at the stats, they're very close to each other. But that's, does that mean you, if you have these teams equal, you're going to give Baltimore three points for home field advantage this day in the age in the NFL? I don't think so. Baltimore tends to, you know, Crap all over themselves when they get to the red zone. Lamar has thrown two interceptions so far in the red zone. So they're not completely trustable. And as much as I love John Harbaugh, he's kind of been regressing a little bit in some of his decisions, uh, just taking it too easy based upon his great field goal kicker when he should be going for it and they let the titans right back into that game last week thank god they were able to put it away because baltimore was one of our biggest plays three points is too much in this situation and it would not shock me if detroit wins this game outright take the lions plus the three points for three stars how much you want to make a bet i can throw a football over the mountains next game we have the Buffalo Bills at the New England Patriots. New England Patriots is plus nine. Total is 41. I mean, I'm not going to lie. My metrics have this game a larger spread than this. And Buffalo has just been bipolar, man. They are hard to trust. I mean, 
they've had some very bad starts in the first quarter. And they sometimes figure it out throughout the rest of the game. But what was that against the Giants? They should have lost that game against the Giants and they get by. And then you have the Patriots that crapped all over themselves a little bit last week, even though they were outgained by over 100 yards. They did deserve to lose by more than three points. So bad beat or not, based upon the score, they did get some help from the officials on that roughing the passer penalty that got them the touchdown. Remember that. But man, these these Patriots are horrible. And their numbers are so bad that literally from a metric algorithmic standpoint i have buffalo by 15 points you know 15 am i running to bet buffalo not really i mean this is a situation where the patriots have to rally it's a division game they have to figure this out belichick's under so much pressure right now these practices cannot be fun to be honest with you from a power rating standpoint which I start kind of not using the power ratings as much this time of year and go towards the algorithm. I only have the uh, Bills favored by seven. So if you kind of look at them both together, it's in the middle, still favoring the algorithm a little bit. I'm going to I'm gonna lean Buffalo for you. You know, I shouldn't have to go through a lot of stats because the Patriots are literally the worst in many situations. You know, I mean, their defense is the only thing kind of holding them a little bit together even though they lost guys like judon and some of their secondary some of their best players i think their defense looks a little bit better just because they're playing a little bit slower but that offense ranks dead last right now in epa dead last that's that's lower than the giants that's lower than the jets they're lower than whale shit on the bottom of the ocean (laughs) hard to trust the patriots to score many points here and Buffalo could be like thinking the same thing. We should have lost that game. Let's put it on the Patriots. I'm going to probably stay away from this game. Don't even think I want to tease it, but nothing would surprise me for the outcome of this game. Let's move on to the Cleveland Browns versus the Indianapolis Colts, and the Colts are plus 2.5. The total is 40. This is a low total. It's looking like Deshaun Watson more won't play. You know, when is this guy coming back? You know, and on the same side of things, you know, Deshaun Watson, what he hurt his shoulder, and he can't even put a timeline in his return. P.J. Walker's a terrible quarterback. This team's going to have to kind of start to win, like, the Iowa Hawkeyes of of the college football. Oh, no! (laughs) That's just insulting there. Sorry, Cleveland. Um, But you also have issues on the quarterback with Gardner Minshew on the other side because Anthony Richardson is now done for the season, had shoulder surgery. So here's another quarterbackless game. Well, another. This is the first one I'm talking about. There will be another very shortly here. But that's why you have a low total. But the fact that neither team has a quarterback, you just got to hope that Gardner Minshew doesn't throw a bunch of picks like he did last week at Jacksonville. This is a big spot for the Colts. And Cleveland's defense is just so good. It kind of gets them by games. I have Cleveland minus two. I'm like literally right on the numbers here. The Colts are better than they, I suspected, but they're still not an average team. They are 22nd in offensive EPA. And on defense, they are 19th. So 
a little bit below average, but Cleveland, of course, on defense, number one in EPA, which is getting them by. And they're on the road here, but on offense, the Browns are only 30th, obviously, with the quarterback problems there. <laughs> I mean, the Niners, let's face it, they shouldn't have won that game even with the poor officiating that happened. So this is an amazing teaser leg, I think, in my opinion. You, you got two and a half here, two, some books on the Colts. Uh, wouldn't doubt if Minshew actually got it right, and they actually have a little bit of offense this game. But uh, my numbers have this right at the spread. So we'll be using this later. Next game, the Atlanta Falcons against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The total is 37. <laughs> another low total. Another game with, well, let's just say awful quarterbacks. The Falcons are plus two and a half on the road. And if you look at what happened last week, I was on the Falcons. And it was a tough loss for me because they over doubled the yards of the Washington Commanders at home and still lost. They just couldn't get it in the red zone, turning the ball over. Desmond Ritter being a bonehead, but it's also Arthur Smith, the coach, kind of a bonehead as well, does not know what to do with this team in the red zone when you have two massive tight ends and Drake London, a very good receiver, and obviously B. John Robinson. How do you not score? Well, Leopard doesn't change his spots, so it doesn't give me confidence that this red zone is necessarily going to improve here. I mean, their numbers look a little bit better just because their strength of schedule has been pretty easy compared to other people. I mean, as we know, New Orleans and Atlanta had the easiest schedules coming in, and right now, up to date after six games, they have the 31st and 32nd ranked schedules, you know? So it's a tough situation to bet on Atlanta. But the bigger thing is Tampa Bay, they're starting to figure out a little bit better against the run. Now, they can't stop the pass, as you saw last week with Amon Ross, St. Brown, and some of the other uh, Detroit Lions that just destroyed them. And Baker Mayfield was absolutely terrible. Couldn't even get his team back in the game. But uh, Tampa slowly becoming a little bit better against the run like they were last year. They moved all the way up to third in rush EPA after six weeks of football. And if you can stop the run then you're in good situation. But, you know, Atlanta's number one in rush EPA. I'm not worried about that because Tampa's not a running team. And uh, as far as offense, T Atlanta only ranks 20th in rush EPA now because teams are stacking the box. But in dropback EPA, Tampa Bay is still, you know, meddling, I would say, 10th. Uh, even after that bad Baker Mayfield game, I mean, look at how open their receivers were. He was just missing Evans, missing Godwin, right? So it, it, they have a chance of beating Atlanta if Baker Mayfield improves, but Atlanta not terrible. And well, I wouldn't say they're not terrible. They're kind of below average in dropback EPA ranking 24th in the nation here. So this is up to Baker Mayfield to cover this two and a half points. I mean, if you believe in him as a bounce back spot, then there you go. But I've done that before when he played for Cleveland and he's shit the bed two, two three weeks in a row. You know, um, I feel like he got a little complacent. So this is a little bit tough. Um, probably lean towards the under for sure. I think this is a, uh, a low scoring game, even though it's at 37, which is, believe it or not, a key number in the NFL. 
Uh, Atlanta's probably a really good teaser leg if uh, you got the, the cojones to do so. You have to expect that they can move the ball against Tampa, but just it gets a little worrisome when they get to the red zone. The Raiders versus the Bears. The Bears are plus three, total 37.5. Another disgusting game. Now we have backup quarterbacks in this game, just like Cleveland versus Indianapolis. Now the Bears, I mean, they look so bad, and then they can also look so good when they play teams like Washington. It's That was a lot of Justin Fields, but here's the thing. This all comes back to who do you believe in? Um, the Bears have Tyson Bangett that's playing quarterback. And if you remember, or I'm not sure how much you care about the Bears, they are my favorite team, unfortunately. Uh, he did very well in the preseason. The preseason is preseason for a reason. Um, he fumbled the ball a little bit. He threw that interception when he came in for fields. But he, I, I like the kid. You know, he was a winner in Division II college football. And he's kind of coming in saying, well, you know, I got nothing to lose. He doesn't have anything to lose. And the Bears, they tend to embarrass themselves, dropping P.J. Walker for him. But this is the kid that can kind of save face. And the Raiders, <laughs> they're winning games that they shouldn't have. They probably shouldn't have won at Denver. They, they should have won last week. I will give it to them. But laying points on the road with the Raiders, it just feels like a a very tough situation, especially when you, you don't have a quarterback there. At least Derek Carr was a serviceable quarterback who just blew games last year. I, I think that uh, Hoyer, I'm just not super confident in. And if you look at the Bears, they're quietly getting less injured every single week. I think that the fact that we know nothing about Badgent adds a lot of variance to this number. Yet, what do we know about Hoyer? We know he's not a good quarterback. <laughs> I guess he's a serviceable backup, but I don't have a lot of confidence in Hoyer, especially on the road. But more importantly, this is a bit of a letdown spot and a look-ahead spot for the uh, Raiders, right? I mean, they just beat their ex-coach, and there's plenty of players that were on the Patriots as well as McDaniels that was the offensive coordinator there that beat Belichick. It was a big win for them. And then the Raiders might look past the Bears to a real team like the Lions. <laughs> you know, it's a terrible spot to be back in the Raiders. I wonder if this stays at three and a half or three or goes down to two and a half. It might be a teaser leg, but I'm not even a big fan of this teaser leg just because of the variance that you have with the quarterback. What you do not understand with Badgent. I don't know what we're going to get here. So as bad as the Bears have been, I have the Raiders only a two-point favorite at home or away here. And that's just via the numbers. If you factor in the letdown spot, you're getting a little bit closer to the pick them. But um, I'm going to give you a lean to the Bears, even though it's they're a very hard team to bet right now. But, I mean, if you were going to back the Raiders in this spot, you could end up really kicking yourself come Sunday. Next game, we have the Commanders versus the Giants. Total of 39 you're probably having a backup quarterback with the Giants. I doubt that Dr. Daniel Jones, Dr. Jones, will be back. Um, let's take a quick look at the most updated injury report here. And Daniel Jones, head coach Brian Dayball, says limited. You know what's funny? I didn't downgrade the Giants last week, and that's why they were a larger play for me. 
um, against the Buffalo Bills because I think Tyrod Taylor is as good as Daniel Jones and maybe even a little bit better. He's proven to be a very serviceable guy. But here we are once again. You have a lot of Giants that missed last game, but now are questionable, you know. Um, I hope that Wandale Robinson plays. Uh, he banged up his knee. It's a big thing for the Giants. But this is uh, a, a situation where they can get some guys back maybe, and this would be a very good teaser leg because the Giants are, like the Patriots, a very desperate team that isn't good. But the Washington Commanders had no business winning that game last week against Atlanta. And we saw a lot of good from their quarterback there in Washington. If you remember, we liked Washington over their season win total, while many people, the most people that I know, were looking under. But it is still a situation where he could screw up and throw some picks. And the Giants' defense did take a step step up. I mean, I don't have the Giants' favor in this game. It's... Uh, uh, it's definitely via the metrics favors uh, Washington. But at the same time, if you look at how the, the Giants did last game and the desperation for Dayball and uh, the team around them, it is a, a certainly a big get-up spot for them. And I kind of like them from a teaser aspect of it. I think they keep it closer in this game, if you remember. Watching every single year always comes down to three points. So uh, very good teaser leg here, and you might hear about that a little bit later in this show. Uh, Arizona versus Seattle. Seattle's minus 7.5. The total is 44.5. I think we're starting to figure out that Arizona was a little bit of a fallacy the first few weeks when they started. A lot of excitement there, a lot of not understanding what they were going to do with the new coach there in Gannon. But, you know, Arizona just does not have the secondary to compete with a lot of these teams but, you know, Geno Smith can be a high-variant quarterback himself. But this is a big spot, too, for Seattle because they should have beat the the Bengals last week. You know, they the teaser leg covered, thank God for us. But, man, they really outgained the Bengals. And they just kind of crapped the bet a little bit themselves. So they're coming home here in a big divisional game. It's going to make them the very big teaser leg you know, coming into this week. Um, Gino should be able to get together uh, and get that ball out to DK Metcalf with the Arizona Cardinals ranking 29th in dropback EPA. Uh, the Cardinals ranking 30th in overall defensive EPA. You know, uh, Seattle actually very good rushing team. They are now number two in rushing, while the uh, Cardinals really can't stop either the pass or the run. In rush EPA, the Cardinals rank uh, number 24. Now, if James Conner was in this game, I would think a little bit more about betting Arizona, who was averaging, you know, over five yards per attempt. They're still at 5.3 based on the fact that James Conner logged all those yards, but they certainly couldn't do anything last week against the Rams, and I don't expect them to do a ton here in Seattle. Their passing yards are also uh, pretty dismal 5.8 yards per attempt and that's basically Josh Jobs just trying to get back in a lot of these games so uh Seattle going to be the biggest survivor play but I mean do you want to be with the public on the survivor this week maybe you think that it's going to get through and everybody's going to get through 
you know, that's the big question when it comes to Survivor. There's not a lot of great options because the other big favorites are literally on the road. So I find the Survivor coming into this week a little bit more fascinating. If Seattle doesn't win, there's going to be a hell of a lot of people certainly taken out. I also want to say that Seattle is going to be the most popular teaser leg too. So <laughs> you're going to play Seattle on the teaser and put them in your Survivor. <laughs> if that thing goes through, you're going to have a bad Sunday uh, if somehow Arizona keeps this game close and mucks it up a little bit and Geno just has one of those really weird Geno-type games. But, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm pretty confident in Seattle myself just because coming off that Bengals loss and um, – Arizona kind of showing their true colors, but I'm not confident in the spread. Uh, my numbers actually have it. I, I My numbers have Seattle covering the spread. I just can't trust them laying a ton of points, and they haven't been the greatest home team over the past two years, if you remember as well. The Pittsburgh Steelers versus the L.A. Rams. Now, the Rams are favored by three points. The total in this game is 43.5. I have a premium play here, so I'm not going to give out too much information. I will say that the Rams certainly are getting beat by the better teams out there, you know, um, but they're beating up on the worst teams. And what's your opinion of Pittsburgh? Now, Pittsburgh notoriously has, has had slow starts and has gotten better throughout the season. And now the Pittsburgh Steelers are coming off the bye, while the Rams are coming off a nice division win. The spot certainly favors Pittsburgh, but the metrics still have Pittsburgh as one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, just looking from an EPA perspective, the Steelers on defense are they're better than they are on offense. They're 10th on defense, but on offense, you're looking at a pretty dismal team here, ranking number 29th in EPA, dropback EPA, they are number 28th, and Rush EPA, they are number 28th. You know, they're not stopping really anybody. Uh, that win against the Ravens was a little bit fraudulent a few weeks ago, if you remember as well. It's just complete fourth quarter from Kenny Pickett and the Ravens kind of handing them that situation. But can they do it again against the Rams? I mean, you see this happen uh, many times. The Rams have been pretty good though at finishing out games when they're ahead in their three wins they you know obviously beat seattle put the pressure on the whole second half they beat the colts 29 to 23 and the cardinals 26 to 9 so as a favorite the rams have been fantastic so far this year the question is can they get it off a team coming off the bye hoping to recharge their season a little bit pittsburgh uh only three wins themselves. They beat the Raiders away. They beat Cleveland at home, which was a very strange game, I thought. And obviously that undeserved Baltimore win. But when they went on the road uh, against Houston, they got destroyed. <laughs> and it's 30 to 6. It wasn't even close. And obviously that first loss against San Francisco. So Steelers are looking kind of pretty at 3 and 2. But the, can they, can they, uh, you know, close the deal here when their numbers are this bad. While the Rams still looking pretty good. This is going to be an interesting game, and that's all I have to say about it. Let's move on to the Chargers versus the Chiefs. The Chiefs are minus 5.5. The total is 48. Now, normally I'd be all over the Chargers in this game. 
Uh, it's a division game. These two teams play each other well. Chargers are usually winning this game until the fourth quarter, and then they crap the bed, and the Chiefs are the Chiefs and get the calls and get get the ball to Kelsey, and the Chargers can't stop them. And it's Brandon Staley mess-ups left and right. My numbers have this closer to 10, just based upon how the Chargers have been choking uh, in big situations, how the Chargers just can't seem to punch the ball in when they really need to. Hard to trust Staley in, in his boneheaded mistakes. And the fact that you see this game with a lower total of 48 that you're used to is because, well, the Chiefs have, have a better defense now and NFL totals have been going under. You know, maybe you do get that magical lighted up game where you see a lot of fireworks. I don't know what to expect. Um, I would be inclined to think the Chargers should be able to come out the gate doing well after that ugly loss against the Cowboys, but can they play the full game like that? I mean, maybe if you can get a first-half play on the Chargers, I wouldn't hate it so much, even though my numbers like the Chiefs so much. Uh, just the fact that uh, this is such a big division game, Staley tends to start games pretty well. Uh, he usually loses it more in the second half. So... I'll think about that, the Chargers in the first half. And uh, just looking at the numbers right now, really quick. You can get the Chargers at plus three and a half here, uh, even though the spread is only five and a half. So I find that a little bit strange as well. Next game, the Packers versus the Broncos. Broncos plus one, total 45. Now, Jordan Love has been costing this good Packers team some victories and I don't know if it's completely him or a little bit on coach LaFleur but I will say, certainly say right now I do give LaFleur a little bit of a coaching advantage against Peyton because Peyton has done nothing with this horrible Denver team and I mean Denver has looked awful on the defensive side of the ball more than the offensive side ranking 32nd dead last behind the Bears the Cardinals the Giants the Carolina Panthers even in defensive epa per play you know they let teams run all over them you know that's a problem ranking 30th in rush epa and in dropback success rate you know teams are throwing all over them as well i don't know if jordan love can um i know they get baron browning back which is nice for denver but i mean i'm gonna give this away as the packers i think the packers get the get it right they're coming off the bye i know the denver has a couple extra days to prepare coming off the Thursday game against the Chiefs. But this is a situation where the Packers really have to get it right. And I think they're just too good of a team as a whole to screw this up. I think they should just be able to run the ball to Dylan. A little bit of trick plays back and forth. You know, LeFleur is kind of from the same coaching tree as McDaniel from Miami. Mike McDaniel. Uh, they all kind of go under the Shanahan uh, umbrella there, right? And if Miami did that good against Denver themselves, you know, I would assume that LaFleur should be able to figure something out as well. Now, do I want Aaron Jones back for this? Hell yeah. I mean, I really want Aaron Jones back. But, you know, that hamstring injury that he sustained has been keeping him out uh, for a while. Uh, the Packers could get Eric Stokes back uh, at cornerback. They have a few beat-up guys. Quay Walker was limited, though. He might be able to come back at linebacker. Devondre Campbell, 
uh, is unlikely to play. But otherwise, it's just really Aaron Jones that you're worried about. And Denver's a very healthy team right now. I think if Aaron Jones can play this game after the bye, which you're getting an extra week on that hammy, then then look out. I think that he's going to be able to run all over uh, the Denver Broncos, and he would be maybe your best fantasy back uh, coming in for the whole week. But, I mean, the Packers have to do something here, and it's Jordan Love has to show something. They put faith in him. It's time to, uh, you know, let him loose a little bit and, you know, get the ball to Dobbs and, and Christian Watson, you know, Jesus there's just so many situations where they could have scored more points. And on the other side of things, I don't think Russell Wilson is is a starter quarterback anymore. I think he's done. I think that uh, he's short. He can't get the ball. He gets a lot of balls tipped. He's not as fast as he used to be. You can tell when he's trying to run, he gets caught by defensive linemen these days. I think he just got too fat and happy with his big contracts and his Super Bowl win that he had an amazing defense with. And, you know, he kind of his trajectory has been going down over the past five, six years. And unfortunately, he's not the same guy. So uh, I think the Packers are a great play right here. I think the coaching goes to LaFleur. I think the schemes go to LaFleur. And we're going to take the Packers minus one for three stars. Get busy living or get busy dying. That's goddamn right. Next game, the Miami Dolphins at the Philadelphia Eagles. This is the night game. The Eagles are minus two and a half. The total is 52. Man, it's hard to go against the Miami Dolphins, but there's a few situations that really make you look towards the Eagles. The first one is that Big defensive line of the Eagles. Now, you hope that Jalen Carter's back from that ankle sprain that happened about 10 days ago. I don't know. Um, they seem to stop Brees Hall pretty well last last week, but there's a, a couple metrics that make you really lean towards the Eagles. It's the pressure rate for the Eagles. I think if you can get to Tua before he throws that deep route to Tyreek Hill, you know, Tyreek Hill kind of lines up a little bit in the inside, sometimes even in, close to the slot or in the slot. Uh, then he does the that go fade route where he's just kind of fading. And that's so hard to stop because it just gives you extra space against the cornerback, not just the, the full run space. You also get the space towards the sidelines. It's an amazing play that teams do. And uh, Tyreek Hill and Tua is just so good at that. But you also have you know Jalen Waddle there and some other great players as well. But my concern is there's a lot of cornerbacks uh, questionable. Bradley Roby with the shoulder injury is questionable. And uh, Darius Slay, uh, cornerback, it was a limited participant in Wednesday's practice. I hope they would play. Uh, Reed Blankenship did not uh, participate yet, the safety, in this practice. So he could certainly be out as well. Dallas Goddard's a little beat up. But, you know, Lane Johnson the right tackle. Uh, He's got a lateral ankle sprain. It looked pretty bad during the game. I don't think he's going to play. I think they probably have a guy they can figure out. But the most important thing is stopping the run against the Mike McDaniel team. He has so many great packages of rushing plays. But he's also lost some running backs. And if you remember, Mostert can be a little bit of a fumble machine. 
you know, uh, and, and that and that concerns me. I know they're going to get Jeff Wilson back finally. He says ribs, you know, he, he was out with his ribs and a finger, but he was a full participant in Wednesday's practice. I think Jeff Wilson's back could be a little bit rusty. Obviously, Achin is gone on um, a minimum of four games, and, you know, hopefully he can come back later in the season. It looks like he can. But, uh, you know, a couple binged up players, Xavier Howard at cornerback. But the big thing is they might get Jalen Ramsey back this game. He's back at practice, and his 21-day window for his return is opened up. Uh, I think he gets activated this week. But what if you can't throw the ball? Because according to the weather report, the wind is supposed to be over 20 miles per hour. Okay, that's pretty significant. And that means they have to go against the Eagles rush defense. Now, the Eagles have been better against the run in the past, being that they're kind of hurt early in the season. But if Jalen Carter's back, that will improve. And the biggest thing is they got a couple linebackers back recently. Philadelphia got... Their big guy from Georgia, Nicobe Dean, back to play this game. Now, that's the Miami's got 6.5 rushing yards per attempt. If they can't run the ball in a windy day, I could see the Eagles capitalizing here and just holding onto the ball, slowing down the offense. That's what they do. And I'm not so sure this Vic Fangio defense can stop the run because they've been very bad against the run themselves, ranking 25th. In rush EPA, you know, that's pretty bad. And also, they allow 4.1 yards per rush. It looked pretty bad when they played the Chargers. They couldn't stop Eckler at all. So, I mean, I, I think the spread is pretty good right now at two and a half. And, I mean, if we get a Jalen Carter back and those corners can play, then this spread should be a little bit higher is all I have to say. Uh, next game. The Monday night game, the Niners versus the Vikings. The Vikings are now minus, or the Niners are minus six and a half, minus 120. It's kind of bouncing between seven and six and a half. The total is 44. Is Christian McCaffrey playing? I don't know. I think he's worth at least a half point to this line. I know Elijah Mitchell's very good. Uh, Debo Samuel is fantastic, but I don't think he's worth a half a point, being that you still have Ayuk, being that you still have Kittle. Shanahan likes to use use check. In situations, and he kind of comes up big. And do you want to step in front of a Niners team that just had an ugly loss last week against the Browns? The difference between the Browns defense and the Vikings defense is literally night and day. You know, the Vikings are coming off a win. The Niners are coming off a loss. I'm just going to be honest with you. My my numbers on the Niners are minus eight. And that's just because of the recency of them struggling a little bit against the uh, Browns last week. From a full season, it's more closer to minus nine. So depending upon what this number is, I'd be very I, – I would consider laying it with the Niners. Uh, I know the Vikings are dangerous, but there is no magic from Justin Jefferson coming here. And you have a healthy Niners defense rushing the Packers – Packers passer rushing the passer like Nick Bosa, Clellan Farrell, you know, Dre Greenlaw. You got Fred Warner in the middle. 
it's just not looking good here to back the Packer or back the Vikings in this situation, even at home. This could be an absolute blowout, in my opinion. So I'm siding probably with what the public would do, unfortunately, which is the Niners. Um, I hope CMC plays. If I can get to the window on this, that'd be great. But this would also be another interesting teaser leg, even though it's not past the seven and a half. If you can, if it's going to go to seven and a half, then you would execute that, you know, before the game, maybe tease it with a Thursday game or something like that. But uh, San Fran is certainly uh, in contention here to make a play on. Well, there you have it, my friends. We are taking the Lions for plus three for three stars and the Packers at minus one for three stars for our plays. Now let's get into our refuse to lose teaser. That is five and one. So you kind of heard me tease it a little bit. Speaking of teasers, we're going with the Colts plus two and a half to plus eight and a half. And uh, for all the reasons I said, Cleveland, no no uh, quarterback. Would not shock me if the Colts win this game. Cleveland is in a letdown spot. Uh, and then obviously we're going to go with the Giants. And a little bit more variance in this Giants game, but I'm kind of hoping Tyrod Taylor does play. And this game is always just so close. I have to go with history. Now, last year, the Giants won 20-12. to 12, But a two-and-a-half-point teaser leg would get you past that anyway. But this was also a situation where the commanders were absolutely a dumpster fire with a terrible quarterback. The game before that was tied, ended in a tie 20-20. to 20. The game before that, the commanders actually won 20-7. to 7. The game before that, it was 30 to 29 with the Commanders winning. The game before that, 23 to 20, the Giants winning. Game before that, 20 to 19. Game before that, what goes to overtime, Giants win by six. As you can see, lots of these games were close, and it's just no bigger spot right now for the Giants coming off a loss that they should have won. And uh, the Commanders coming off a game that they won and should have lost. So we're going to do that. Both teams up to eight and a half for three stars. I wish you guys nothing but best. The ceiling is the roof. Let's make it happen. Let's keep All right, my friends. Now let's get into a little UFC 294 with our wonderful guest, Gam Lu. Now I'm very excited to welcome back a man who should be everyone's go-to guy when it comes to MMA, and Lou Finicaro from GamLou.com and the Bout Business Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter, at GamLou. Lou, thanks for coming back on the show. Wow, did this UFC 294 event get exciting over the past few weeks, hasn't it? Kev, thank you so much for having me on. Your podcast is awesome. Your guests are excellent, and I'm tickled to be able to share some UFC thoughts. Yes, this is a really excellent card, and especially the main card is uh, rife with great talent. Maybe, you know, some unfavorable matchups, but at the same time, uh, some short notice stuff, some big names, a lot of intrigue, and a lot of unknown. Yes, yes. I mean, lots of intrigue and lots of unknown. But yeah, there's uh, some fighters that definitely stepped up to the plate here. And we give them all the credit in the world because it made this event 
really what it was. And we'll get to that, two main ones in the main card. But more importantly for you MMA fans, or even if you're just kind of a fan, partial fan, uh, this event doesn't exactly start at night, does it? This is a uh, Abu Dhabi event. And so our prelims will be Saturday morning, 7 a.m., and then the main card, 11 a.m. on Saturday morning. So uh, it's like uh, omelets and omoplatas. So uh, in one way, it serves me perfect because then I can watch baseball and some football after the fights are over. But you have to, it's an FYI. Uh, you're getting up early if you want to make the first fight. And if you're going to want to get your bets, unless you get up at 6 in the morning Pacific time, you better get them in the night before because the prelims are getting started immediately here but now you mentioned Abu Dhabi I have a couple questions about it I'd like you to give us a little introduction about the Abu Dhabi and of course they fought there before but for any of us that are new to the MMA or new to the UFC um, I'd like you to talk about the venue and how we might handicap these fights differently if any well quickly during COVID Dana White and his tenacity hooked up with those Arab Emirates professionals, set up Fight Island, was able to execute his plan. And uh, now, as COVID has cleared up and the UFC is now back into full-fledged traveling abroad and expanding their brand, of course, they reward Abu Dhabi for a number of reasons. They were there when they needed them when the UFC needed them as well. That's a great location to be able to expand their brand into all the Slavic countries, all the Muslim countries, Russia, and that side of the world. And the UFC is very um, aggressive in doing such. Further, we have to know that when we take an Ireland card or we go to London or Abu Dhabi, that some of these regional fighters are gonna get highlighted and oftentimes they may even be provided favorable matchups. And you can see some of that here on this card based on pricing. I, being a dog lover, love to try and go into the fight card and find one or two of those favorable matchups that may not go as everyone intends. We'll talk about one of those fights a little bit later. But one handicapping these fights must know that the Russians, um, the Kazakhstanis, uh, the Indian fighter, uh, those people from that region of the world, for the most part, are set up to do pretty well because that aids the UFC in their expansion in that area. <laughs> there you go. And they're maybe more, uh, I guess, used to the time out there and the difference. You know, the fights start very early in some of the Americans time, maybe it's a little different for some of our European fighters. I don't even know if we have that many. I mean, there's Brazilians in here, but I think that could make a difference. Just your time clock in your head. And I would assume that some of these guys like Johnny Walker, Worley Alves, a couple others have went out there early, um, hopefully, and got their clocks adjusted there, Lou. Walker surely did. He trains in Ireland. That wasn't as big a trip for him as it was for Worley Alves coming from Brazil. I'm not sure if Alves went out there early or not. But yeah, we want to make sure that we know who, who the Western Hemisphere fighters are traveling abroad because the cutting weight coupled with a 
a long 10 hour flight like that, it, it, it requires you get out there early and acclimate and some of them have, and I don't know exactly which ones have not, uh, but in my target here on these fights, uh, we're looking at guys like, you know, Volkanovski, Chimaev, even Usman. Usman flew from Florida to Abu Dhabi on four days' notice to fight Masvidal. So uh, this two weeks is not going to be too uh, daunting for Kamaru. All right. Well, there you go. So that's your answer. Uh, we I had Brian Edwards on, a mutual friend of ours, and quickly discussed this. I kind of think tend to think that if these uh, – decisions go to the judges maybe they do lean more towards their religious prowess and uh and the regional potential bias i guess i can't guarantee anything but i you know i've seen crazier things happen in the ufc and other sports and i'm wondering if that's just in obviously not blanketed but in a general way i might want to look at my handicapping Without question. I, I mean, when you're seeing an over two and a half, uh, and, and so that's indicating a pro high probability that the fight's going to go to decision. Now you got to take a look. If you got two Brazilians, I don't think you have any integrity problem. But if you have a Kajastani against a Brazilian, or if you have a, a Russian against a Brazilian, and there is no deeper hatred than Russia and Brazil in the fight game, then you, it, and it isn't maybe the judges tainting it. But listen, judges are humans. They're sitting there, they're watching the fight and they're hearing the crowd. And if it's all the green shirt, the crowd's all for the green shirt, nobody's for the red shirt, then there could easily be a taint in that decision-making process. All right. Well, that's something we'll definitely keep in mind then for this card. Well, let's get started then. Definitely going to hit the main card in all the fights. But before that, let's pick a, a, a prelim to talk about. And I... We'll be honest, I haven't made any pre-flop bets just yet. I plan on listening to you. Uh, I already did my first comb through all the fights. I got to do my second, and that's kind of when I can make a little bit more decision on what I'm going to go for. But I'm going to look at this Tim Elliott versus uh, Mumad Makayev fight, and it is the main event of the prelims, and Makayev is a massive minus 400-ish, 440, 450, depends what book you're looking at, favorite under Tim Elliott. Now, uh, I'll be completely honest with you. I was on Till M Tim Elliott in one of his recent fights against, uh, I have to find it, Tagir Umagulov, I think, right? Uh, and I lost. Ulenbekov. Ulenbekov, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't even have his name up. I'm just looking. I'm, my All good. Things refreshing. But hey, and I thought Tiger fought a good fight, but I understand why he lost it. It was really that close. And uh, Elliot's a, a gamer. He can get up from some of those takedowns and he gets some strikes in. So I have two inclinations here in this fight. For one, I want to go with my standard one. That is Makayev by decision because I don't think that Tim Elliott will get subbed necessarily by Makayev. I think he's kind of grown past that. I know he's 19 and 12 in one, and uh, he's been submitted before. But Makayev is a pure wrestler, and he's going to, this could be a very boring fight too, because I believe he's going to go right for the takedowns immediately. He's not going to mess around and get hit which is, you know, you know how those fights go and not the greatest 
from a spectator standpoint. But if Tim Elliott can get up like he did against Tagir, then I think he's got a shot to land some strikes. And Mohammed uh, does not land a lot of strikes. And I wonder if this thing can go to decision, if this maybe goes to a split decision just based upon that. Now, my worry, of course, like you said, they're going to favor the wrestler if uh, I have to I have to think that uh, in this region of the world. So the two things I was looking at is like maybe I do say this fight, it goes to a split decision, just blanketed in general, which you're going to get some really nice plus money on. And my other side of this is just betting Makayev by decision. Uh, what are your thoughts on this fight? And am I going down the right road? Well, I can't answer that last question until I see the fights, obviously, because I have no crystal ball here. And when you were first uh, uncovering that breakdown, that handicap, I thought you were going to side with Elliot. And and as much as I like Tim Elliott, uh, we got to understand there's a substantial difference in age here. And Elliot's a pure fighter, make no mistake about it. But Mokayev, I'll call him, is 23, Elliot 36. And... Uh, Elliot's awkwardness will be countered by this definite forward pressure by Mokayev. And, and I think that I overall agree with Mokayev via decision uh, or the fight is goes over or the fight goes to decision. I think almost a bet for Elliot is those three avenues. Uh, he's durable. He's tough. He's very experienced. And I don't think he, he's been sub, but I don't think Mokayev is going to sub him. Uh, I, I just worry about Tim's gas tank late with such a young opponent and an ascending opponent. But overall, Makaya via decision or fight goes to the decision, I would be very com comfortable or confident in either. Yes, yes. Okay. And so uh, over two and a half rounds is minus 166 here at DK. And uh, Mokayev wins by decision on DraftKings is plus 100. So obviously you need two outcomes to happen. You need the guy that's already at minus 225 to not only uh, to win the fight, right? Uh, no, sorry, minus 425 to win the fight, which that says there's an over 80% chance he wins. And then you need it obviously to go past the three rounds. Well, you know, going putting those together, I think you're getting better than plus 100. So I'm leaning towards the Malkaev by decision, and I, I think I'm going to go that route. Uh, split decision, I have to look that up, but uh, you're probably going to get in the plus 300 or plus 400 range usually in that. Um, and uh, I will look that up while I let you choose the next fight from the prelim card, Lou. Oh, great. Uh, so uh, I'm going to try and fade one of the, you know, handpicked locals. And in this fight, uh, it's it's in the prelims. I'll, I'll let you pause there. It's plus 550 for fight to be won by split or majority decision. So split right, or majority. Those are, yeah. Those are, those are juicy. Uh, but that's where I may put the brakes on. I, I just, I don't think I see Tim getting that close. I, I think I see him surviving. I just don't think I see split or majority decision. I, I think okay. Makayev is, 
I, I think this is a, a favorable position for him. Okay, sounds good. Uh, I will, I will stick with. I'll stick with my plus one hundred on this one then. Um, is that what Makayev is via decision? Yes, it is. That's a that's a that's a great price on a on a good, capable, ascending fighter who's fighting in his region. Going to have the whole crowd behind him. Thank you. Thank the you. fight I'll go to is uh, lightweight fights, and the kid from America shipping in thirty four year old Mike Breeden. And he's fighting a, a fighter that's on his sophomore fight in the UFC, an Indian fighter named Ansul Jubli. I'm just going to call him Mr. Jubli because that's easier for me. <laughs> Jubli uh, has a couple of inches of height. He's six years younger, but he doesn't have a reach advantage. Jubli from Indi India uh, fights pretty erect, really slick, good, solid boxer, has good wrestling, uh, but the other components of uh, mixed martial arts, as far as uh, grappling BJJ, escape him at this particular evolution. Now, he's fought really sublime competition, but we can't hold that against him. He's fighting out of India, a, a farm, a, a, an embryonic uh, market that the UFC is dying to uh, develop. And that's why they have this guy on this card. Now, when we look at at his opponent in Breeden, we see that the guys had three UFC fights and three UFC losses, two of those in the first round. So it's easy to expect, oh, they UFC bought, brought Breeden in here to be a subject for Jubilee. And I think that's kind of the case. However, we got to peel the handicap back a little bit. Breeden, the three guys he's fought, Alex Hernandez, uh, the re young wrestler named Nathan Levy, that was a three-round decision. No shame in that, in that loss. And then lastly, Terrence McKinney, a, a fight that ended in the first round. But there were all kinds of footnotes to that. That fight arguably ended early. And so this young kid, Breeden, knows that the organization is setting him up. That said, he's 0 for 3. He's getting a fourth fight. He's turned it into the organization likes what I do and they're giving me another chance. This kid's 34 fighting for his life, his back's against the wall and he comes in a little bit with a chip because that last fight against McKinney didn't really, he didn't get a chance to showcase himself. He's been in with tremendously better competition than the young man Jubilee and who he's been in with are elite fighters. At this price, Jubilee minus 300 or 290 and Breeden plus 250, I just can't wait for this fight. I think that Breeden is in a position to deliver young Jubilee his Ph.D. in MMA because he's been in with better, his back's against the wall, he's fighting for his life. At least I know with a plus 250 underdog, I'm going to get every ounce of effort from young Mr. Breeden. Wow, I love those angles. And yes, this does smell like a setup, but him coming in to bust it and you just, you know, calling that out makes me excited, man. Oh, yeah, I don't. You look at Jubilee, he hasn't fought in anybody and he has a split decision um, in the UFC road to the UFC back in 2022 with uh, Payo Kim. It's not like anybody big. Um, that's, this is such a great find for you because I was looking at this fight and I was just thinking, 
I don't even know what to do with this. I kind of passed on it, but now I can kind of see the angle here. Breeden fighting for his life here. He's just going to give it his complete all. And uh, and if you think that fight ended early just based upon McKinney, uh, you know, throwing some really quick strikes, sometimes they'll stop it even though there's not enough damage. I can't remember on August 12th. Uh, I was out of town, I think, that weekend, but it was. Uh, this could be a great situation for him. And uh, you wonder also if Jubilee is going to take more money later for parlays and things, and you might get breeding at a little bit better of a price there, Lou. That's a great point. And, and for all dogs, especially, I don't think there are even any dogs from that region of the country, but for your dogs, it does usually pay to wait uh, in this case, when I saw Breeden 250, that that was well enough for me, and I took it. Now, if the price goes up, I can always add more, but I didn't want to lose what I thought was a really uh, excellent offering. Excellent offer. Great find. All right. Well, I cannot wait to watch this prelim. Let's move on to the main card then. And obviously, if we have a little time at the end, maybe we'll talk about another prelim, but we'll go to Saeed Nurmagomedov versus when I believe it's Gafarov, but I might have mispronounced him, and that happens from time to time when we're talking some UFCs, Lou, so please feel free to correct me if needed. Saeed is minus 225. Right, and there are two, and I'm going to try and say it right, Tajistani, TJ, T, T, Tajistani fighters on the card. These guys uh, that country is a voracious fight country. These guys, when they arrive, they're aggressive, they're determined, and maybe they're a little bit raw. Uh, surely that area of the country, they're, they're grappling, wrestling-based, but they throw uh, with, with tremendous power, with tremendous grit, and almost every bit of energy they have behind their strikes. And that's what Saeed Nurmagomedov is in against. Uh, and in in this of uh, in the this fight between the two Tajikistani athletes, this is the one I think that I have less opinion on. I I do think I I think Syed Nomagomedov is more of a fade fighter. He's not that wrestler grappler. He's a little bit more long lanky striker, and it, therefore uh, his size, his length makes it tough for me to like uh, Muin in this in this spot. I think that's a. This is a fight I'll avoid, but I do lean to Nurmagomedov in decision fashion here. Decision, okay. Well, he's had eight decisions. He hasn't gotten to the. Uh, I he hasn't gotten the sub all the time. You know, I always kind of look at their Nurmagomedovs as you know. He always looks sub first and stuff like that. So that's kind of yeah, th not this one. Not this, this <laughs> one's a striker. Yeah, this one definitely does just struggle. To throw, just to throw a monkey wrench into it for us. Well, he lost to Jonathan Martinez, who I was wrong last week. I thought that was going over two and a half with you against Yanez, and he just kicked the crap out of his leg so hard that Yanez could even continue in that fight, Lou. And uh, I really thought that was one of my tightest caps coming into last week, but I am absolutely surprised that Jonathan Mar Mar Martinez is this good. And I have to remember that. And I don't know if the market will catch up to him right away for his next fight, but hes I have him written down for to take a look at his prices as soon as that comes out. Yeah, I was disappointed that Yanez didn't know what was coming. I, I, you know, I, Jonathan Martinez, it's no secret he has bludgeoning leg kicks. How uh, Adrian didn't address it uh, is, is beyond me, but... 
Martina, I had used the week earlier, Kiev, a parlay that tied into Yanez, and then when we got it, and it missed. The first leg did. And so then when we got to the fight, I was thinking, well, I'll just take Yanez straight. And the more handicapping I did, I couldn't. That's why I ended up on the over. And, and I agree with you. I felt very strong about the over here based on Yanez. I knew Martinez was durable. And we learn a lesson, turn, you know, record the loss and move forward. Absolutely. And you can get Saeed by sub or decision at minus 150 at DK. If you did just sub, it's plus 250. If you did just decision, it's plus 180. So that minus 150 doesn't seem too steep for me. So I'm going to look a little deeper into that one, um, pay a little juice. And if I think that's the correct outcome of the fight, I will possibly fire on that one. Let's move on to the next fight in the card. And uh, wow, this is this is where Warley Alves is coming in from Brazil as a big dog plus 450 against Ikram Alaskarov. And, and you know, you look at this fight, I, I believe that Worley um, has definitely been through plenty of wars, but, I mean, I also wonder if Ikram is priced based upon his venue, being that this is minus 600. I mean, this is a, a very large juice to lay and i usually don't lay anything i don't even put my 600s in my parlays lou but what are your thoughts on this one my thoughts are that this is right now in the uh desert area of phoenix we're planting what we call winter grass and so you come in and you seed your lawn you put manure on it and all this spring little grass comes up thick and fast in two weeks so two weeks i'm going to have all this grass I'm going to have to cut. I'm going to get a big, I have a good powerful mower in the back. That's a Honda and it's going to saw through that grass. And that's exactly what Askarov is going to do to Alves. This is the epitome of a setup fight. Alves has lost his last few. They're bringing him in to be a subject. And this uh, fighter that he's fighting, Aleskarov is the real deal. Uh, this is a complete mismatch. I'd looked at Aleskarov inside the distance uh, somehow or another, and and based on his price, even that's going to be a negative number. So I, this is probably another fight I'm not looking to really invest in. I wrote that down. I wrote I wrote uh, Ikram by inside the distance, but I mean, geez, we're probably laying minus two hundred minimum in this situation. Um, I'm I'm trying to find it. There's okay. So KO, TKO, DQ, or submission is basically inside the distance. It's minus four fifty, Lou. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, no, no bargain there. But that that's a winning ticket. You know, maybe you use that in a parlay. But I I do believe that's what's going to happen in this fight. Yeah, I I don't disagree, and that's. It is a mismatch, absolutely. It's it's definitely a mismatch. Probably don't need to talk a lot about this one because this, like you said, is a setup fight, but I don't care what the motivation is for Warley. He's just getting in there, getting a paycheck, and he's probably already got his flight booked out of there to uh, get back home and collect that money. And uh, I don't know if the UFC is going to put up with him too much longer, but uh, you know it is what it is. I, I just can't see him beating Ingram unless – something chaotic he came with a lot of hype and has never really lived up to it i know we'll get a good effort from him but 
you know, it, it, it's just really, really tough for BJJ practitioners to deal with the Russian vice grips simply because of gas and cardio. There tends to be way more on the Russian side, and the Brazilians can sometimes, after two rounds of toil, begin to look for the door. All right, well, speaking of a lot of hype, this next fight, there was a lot of hype on Johnny Walker, and he kind of became a little glass-jawed. And then all of a sudden, his last three fights, he becomes who he should have been from the start. And Johnny Walker's at plus 275 here, Brazilian fighting Magomed Ankalaev. Now, Lou, my problem with Magomed is he's a frustrating fighter to watch. You know, you want him to put it on when you think he should be putting it on. He's tough. He stands up. He's uh, He presses forward, but it's he's always just one, two, jabbing and doesn't use his wrestling at all, really. He's, uh, you know, you would think with his name that he would be much more of a wrestler. He can do it. And now he's fighting a guy that can certainly throw with him with a seven-inch reach advantage. Uh, I, I used to call him glass jaw Johnny Walker. I'm not sure if I'm going to keep calling him that because of what he did in his last fight against Anthony Smith, who I actually had respect for Anthony Smith up to the level of Magomed Ankalaev. I think they just fought recently. Was that the one that Smith broke his leg? I'll have to relook at that one. Um, uh, yeah, I think that was the one where he might have broke his... Uh, he might have broke his uh, foot on. I, I I have to look back. But either way, um, I mean, this is a pretty large favorite here against a guy that is just kind of trying to prove himself in Johnny Walker. And Magomed steps down to his competition when he fights. I mean, I, this is one that you would think if it goes to decision, it's going to favor Magomed. And lots of his fights do go to decision but there's a little tiny part of me that says maybe Johnny Walker finally gets a KO on this guy um what are your thoughts on this one my thoughts are that uh Johnny Walker arrives a much more mature fighter a much more refined fighter and I almost wonder sometimes if some of the patience they've instilled in him and some of the refinement that they've allowed him to start to practice with takes away some of the heart and soul of really who this kid is. And uh, I think his best effort in this fight would be to come out and be flamboyant and be crazy and throw. As I look at this fight, the avenue for Johnny Walker to win is to catch Ankalaev coming in. That, to me, that's that's how he wins. He's not winning a decision against Ankalaev because Ankalaev is going to come in, get a hold of him, take him down, get on top, and take him out. So my position on this fight is Ankalaev inside the distance. I can get a fighter minus 375 for minus 110. I think Johnny Walker is uh, – a brassy guy to take this fight. He's not afraid. It's not going to be an easy fight for Inkaliyev. It's a terrible matchup for Johnny Walker. Yeah, it's if he can't connect, it will be a long fight for him. But I also wonder that you know Ankaliyev doesn't always put his fighters away. Ankaliyev by decision is plus two twenty five. Ankalaev by KO is plus 100. So the price is telling, is agreeing with you completely on this. Uh, if Johnny Walker somehow just outlands him, I mean, then you're looking at massive prices on him, plus 750 by decision. Um, 
I, I'm not sure if Magomed can be knocked out, and I don't think the judge is going to let him be knocked out, even if he's in trouble with a crowd like that behind him. Well, so with with Johnny, it won't. Johnny don't knock you out on accumulation. It's going to be a spinning kick, and it, it's going to be out like a light. So there's going to, there's no judge going to interfere with that. If Johnny gets him, he's putting him out. Okay. And if he doesn't, I think he's going to get rubbed out. And I just don't see enough well-rounded nature in, in Johnny Walker, even though he's big and he's long and he's tall. He's got no takedown defense, and Ankalaev is going to get inside on him, I think. Yeah, let's hope so. And Ankalaev has zero submissions, eight decisions, nine KOs. His only loss was a long time ago, back to Paul Craig. Who does? Who is the good fighter that doesn't lose to Paul Craig? I mean, Jama Hall. That was in, did, just, that was in the last two seconds of that fight. I mean, that yeah. was a real. That was his debut in the UFC, and and in the interviews this week, uh, Johnny Walker has been calm, cool, and collected. He's ready to fight, knows what he's walking into, and for that, I tip my hat to him. Meanwhile, Ankalaev's talking much more aggressive. And talking about finishes, I, I think we're going to see uh, P.O.'d Ankalaev, who's tired of hearing that he laid an egg against Jan Blachowicz. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he, he, he's probably going to definitely react to those. You know, that's all over the place, you know, that he should have fought. He should have be, you know, been better and won the championship, right? Won the belt on that fight. So, um you know what? I, I I think I might go two ways. I might go Walker KO for the plus six hundred, and I might go Magomed by decision for plus two twenty five. You know, either I'm getting two outcomes for plus money. The blended odds are going to be nice and high. It's going to be plus if you want to blend the odds together. Um, sure, if if Magomed does get him inside the distance, I mean, at least I'm looking at a three round fight. So I'm going to lean towards that, Lou and. Uh, you know, hopefully, uh, if you're winning, you're winning. You know, I I take those blended odds and I say, you know what, I don't care who wins. It's just gotta. I have two. I have two certain types of outcomes here, and uh, maybe it'll maybe it'll come to fruition. But we have. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say I I don't execute that way usually, meaning two different sides on the same fight. But I surely agree that those are the two likely outcomes, and I wouldn't ever criticize anyone for taking that route. I know if I took it, that naturally what would happen was Angoliev would finish him and I'd be all upset. So <laughs> rather than uh, do that to myself, I usually will find one angle, just try and live with it. But I definitely agree with that approach. Yeah, and the, I, the only way I do it is I cut my unit in half, so I'm not losing two larger larger bets. I'm using losing two smaller ones if that happens. Sure. I'll certainly be rooting for Johnny by the KO here, and uh, I'm starting to kind of like him. So we'll see what happens. But moving on to the co-main event, and man, has this one become big? Kamzat Chimeev versus Kamaro Usman, and you and I have been talking about. Comes out for a while, you know. Comes I was on him early, then the of course the the price gets worse and worse on him, and then I'm, I find myself betting comes out inside the distance, and I'm cashing on those, and until that one recent fight that he actually almost lost, and then you have Camaro Usman uh, that his I've lost money on fading him uh, in the welterweight division, and I thought Colby was going to get him once, and I was wrong about that, and. Uh, He's burned some of my money. I've won on one guy. I've lost on the other guy. But I realize why I've lost on this guy. It's because he's 
amazing. One of the best in history in the welterweight division. But this ain't welterweight no more. Kamzai <laughs> can't make welterweight. And uh, Camarao has probably been eating some potato chips. And uh, he's, uh, I'm sure he's up to the round of 280. I'm excited for weigh-ins just to see where this ends up at. I bet you Kamzai is right at the weight. And uh, and I would doubt if Guzman is pretty close himself. But, Lou, I'll let you get started and, on this one. And uh, we'll see if we align. Yeah, good fight. You know, this and the main event, you have the unknown of the short notice. And so for both fighters, Volkanovski and Usman, I'm going to say on their worst day, on the second week of their two-week vacation, they're still in shape to fight. These guys are fighters. They, they stay in shape. They, Volkanovski doesn't ever get out of shape. Usman doesn't get out of shape. Are they in tip-top condition? No. Have they had a five-week training camp? No. And so in the case of Usman and Chemaev, we have the uh, Chemaev who hasn't fought in 13 months, mostly and normally that would be an eyebrow raiser to me, except for one thing. He's been doing that to appropriately put on the weight to compete for three or five full rounds at 185 pounds. Chemaev is has the benefit of a full camp and he's prepared for this weight class for some time, albeit for another opponent. And the opponent change is substantial. Now, Usman, on his side, we don't know what he was doing. We know he didn't fall too far out of shape. We know he took a flight on four days to compete with Gil Burns, and he blasted Gil Burns. And Gil Burns competed with Chemaya, albeit at 170, the lighter weight. Did that weight compromise Chemaya? Possibly. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a prepared Chemayev with 13 months to get ready for a 185-pound fight against a guy in Usman fighting up a weight class on short notice traveling across the world. I think it's a tall task to ask of Usman. I see the one-and-a-half shaded under to uh, minus 166, or is that a two-and-a-half? Let me just check that, please. Two-and-a-half under minus 166 in Chemayev and Usman. I, I, I don't think I can agree with that price on the under. And if a gun was to my head, I'm taking over two and a half plus 130. And I may even get greedy and look for that fight to go to decision, which would be even higher than plus 130. I, I can't discredit Usman to think that Chemayev's going to run right through him. 100%. And... What's funny about Kamzat is I've loved how he just destroyed the competition, but you're, I mean, they both did fight Burns and Burns did better against Kamzat. He cut him and maybe, maybe he had to really struggle, get down to 171 in that weight. And uh, now he's, and it probably bothered him some, but yeah, he was cut and, uh, and Usman took care of him easier. Now uh, we always don't go A plus B is C, obviously when it comes to handicapping, but I mean, let's face it, Kamzat's a psycho. He's absolutely different breed than anybody I've seen in a long time. He's scary. He's uh, strong as an ox, and he just can't keep he, – he couldn't not, not grow at his age. He's not even – you know, he's not even up to his uh, – I guess his prime yet, in my opinion. I think he's still – you know, growing at 29 years old, I think he's going to hit his prime at 32. And you might even see him in the light heavyweight division taking some people out. You know what's funny, though? I have so much respect for Kamaro Usman 
this fight bothers me more than Kamzat fighting Izzy. I'm not going to lie. I really think that I'm more scared of Usman than Izzy in this situation, um, in a lot of situations. But here's another thing. I think that if there was a fighter, and this is for both the main event and this co-main event, that could beat these guys, it is these two guys. Now, I really like what you said about them staying in shape, and especially for the main event, I'm going to make that point again. I think they're in shape, and I think they're going to get back in shape quickly where they're not uh, older men. They they can bounce pretty quickly and uh, and, and get back in shape, but Kamzat uh, has been waiting for a title shot. Uh, this is the person that's in his way right now. He just couldn't keep the weight at 171. He's still very motivated, and Usman has shown a little bit of compromising in his jaw. Now, I, there's been fights with Usman that I, per, that I thought he's lost, and he was the boring guy holding the fighter because he was just that much stronger on the uh, on the cage. Uh, he's done that a few times. I think it was uh, – I think he's done that to Colby his whole time. He's done that to Woodley. You know, he's went to decision many times where you're like, why hasn't why hasn't Usman finished this guy? You know, well, he's a smart fighter and he's hard to take down, 97% takedown defense. But if there's a guy that can take him down, and I think that Kamzat might be a little bit stronger now, I do like what you said about the over two and a half. And I even I wasn't even thinking that. I was more thinking Kamzat by decision based upon the location. But over two and a half, if you're getting plus money, you really gotta you really gotta look at that because Usman uh, is tough. He cannot be subbed, and he is going to be watching for uh, that you know, knockout punch. He's going to be careful about it. It happened to him against Edwards with that head kick, and he's going to be extra careful about it. But guess what? He that was in the fifth round with four minutes passed. This is a three round fight, correct? A three round fight. So this is a no brainer to me that these guys should go up to. Uh, past two and a half rounds, possibly even by decision. I love it over two and a half, but I might also be playing Kamzat by decision, Lou. I would have no argument Kamzat via decision whatsoever. You know, you want to you wanna take a parlay and use Kamzat with El Iskarov and you got two ridiculously stupid high chalks and then, you know, maybe you go find somebody closer to pick or – as Trevor Peaks, about a minus 150, minus 160 on the under, <clears throat> excuse me, undercard. You take those two big chalk with someone else and you can really uh, enhance your odds on that third fighter. That third fighter will probably be chronologically the first one that goes. So if you can win that, arguably, arguably you have the three team are already set with those two big chalks and squeeze some value that way. Yeah, and you've been doing great with that from fight to fight, doing it this fight, looking ahead to the next fight, getting a nice price on it before the line moves. I love that strategy that you've been doing. And here's Chris, one of our mutual friends. Can he spell the names he's using? I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't, Chris. I'm not sure what you mean by that, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's very hard to spell these names. But either way. I buddy. can spell every one of them as long as you're going to let me use my cheat sheet right here where I have <laughs> I can spell them, but I can't pronounce them. And really, we're talking about these set-up parlays and everything, Kiev. I mean, the, the guy that taught me that was our friend Chris, so we'll, I'll footnote it. You know, it's funny. You have legal-sized paper for your notes. I love it. Your notes are so long that Lulu uses legal-sized paper. At well, it, I mean, i got to give 15 fights on the card, and there's a lot of information <laughs> I'm recording. Most people use Excel and computers, and they see a guy like me, and they're like, man, this guy's using – 
notes on pigeons and smoke signals. And you know what? To that, I say you're exactly right. Yeah. And by the way, shout out to Lou going to the Diamondbacks Phillies game today. We had to move the podcast a little bit back for it, but I'm very excited for Lou to go to a big playoff game in the uh, NLCS. That is a big game, and any baseball fan should be going to this, whether you're a Diamondbacks fan or not. And uh, congrats, Lou. I hope you have a couple cocktails before you head up there. I'm leaving after the podcast, and I want to just say publicly thank you for shuffling for me. That that was really nice, and it's going to allow me to go have a great time, see the first game, <laughs> get home, and watch football and baseball playoffs in October. It doesn't get any better. Does not get any better, and of course, man, you you do so much for us here. We love it, and uh, real excited for you to go. Uh, hopefully it's a great game, but what I know that could be a great match is the main event here coming on up with Islam Makachev against Volkanovski. And kind of pick, uh, piggybacking on what I was saying before, I think that Volkanovski is the most dangerous fighter for Islam, and he kind of proved that that last fight. There's people that say if there was different judges, they would have went more by damage, which Islam looked more beat up. Uh, you know, he was just kind of bear-hugging him, you know, wrestling him, and I've always said Volkanovski cannot be subbed because he has no neck. <laughs> so that's another reason that worries me for Islam. I've been on Islam for since his inception, too. He was my probably number one or number two moneymaker with him and Kamzat you know, over the last few three, four years coming up. And then eventually you have to get on Islam inside the distance. Then you've got to be like, okay, is he going to sub him here? And I think I lost when he knocked out green instead of, you know, he obviously straddled him and got up and you know and, and ground and pounded him. But uh, I mean, Volkanovski in America, this fight, I might be looking at him even a little bit more here. Volkanovski saying he, Volkanovski many times has mentioned, "I'm coming off the couch" type thing, and you know you're not coming off the couch. And the fact that you're mentioning it so much, Volk, I bet you you're in tip top shape. So don't BS me here. But what I do think is that Volkanovski is just a rock and he's hard to beat and you won't be able to get on top of him and he'll fight to the death. He's not tapping. He's not subbing. Uh, It would, it would be up to the ref if he got somehow in a compromised position. But what I will say is that this fight is in Abu Dhabi and Islam has prepared and Islam probably was embarrassed and Islam has one of the best Eagle fighting on his back with obviously what some people say one of the best fighters in Habib, uh, Nurmagomedov himself, right? So he's got a lot of backing. He's at home. I even think that even if Volkanovski can last with Islam, um, they're not going to give them the the win. And it's just going to be one of those frustrating situations where you, you think that the judges have been looking more towards damage lately. And maybe these judges don't do that this time unless there's some serious shenanigans <coughs> going on. My what I wrote down is Islam by decision, but it's always dangerous to do that too, Lou, because you're, you have a fighter. If he's truly coming off the couch, he's a five round fight. You know, I, they, this goes against some of my principles of handicapping when a guy comes off the couch that he's going to go to decision or even get there. But I will say that Islam has been knocked out before. It was a long time ago, back in 2015. I've seen him close to knocked out a couple times before the recent fights. He's been a little dazed. Uh, Armand Saruk, I'm sure, wrestled him and, and fought him really hard back in 2019. I remember watching that fight, and that's when I really started liking Saruk and after that. But uh, Islam isn't um, invincible, and Volkanovski's stepping up and weight a little bit. But Volkanovski is the poison to Islam. I might be betting Islam by decision. What are your thoughts on this one? 
My thoughts are that this fight and the other fight are two fights that I stand to learn much more from than really wagering. And my card will be complete by the time Maine and Co-Maine come. If I have investment in either of those two fights, they'll be nominal. Uh, but what I believe is that uh, from what I've seen from Volkanovski, he's never that far out of shape. He's loose, he's fresh, he's ready to go. And uh, I believe uh, he takes a different approach in this fight in that he, he goes immediately out a la Tasmanian devil. On the other side, we got Makachev, who's all he's heard was he's 145 pounds. He took you into the fifth round and he wobbled you. Or he beat you in a split decision. You got lucky. You got the decision. And that decision was in Australia, by the way. Now he has to listen to the fact that Volkanovski comes in and only comes in with 14 days notice. And there's already a built-in excuse. All this is pissing him off. And... And I think that he is the man that's the legitimate 155-er. He's the man with the full camp. And if I just stop there, I have to give advantage to uh, Makachev. That said, when they told Makachev that it wasn't Oliveira and it was going to be Volkanovski, I guarantee you he didn't. That he saw that. They saw that. We see that as a tougher challenge for Makachev. Makachev sees it that way too. Now, he's saying all the right things, and he's really uptight, tight-lipped, somber, stoic during this week, all his interviews and everything. It's my belief that this fight has no effing way of going the decision. No way. That's my position. Okay, well, there you go. That's that's a that's an interesting creative handicap right there, just based upon the motivations, the situation with Volk coming off the couch and the somberness of Islam during his interviews coming through this week. So now, excuse me for interrupting, Kevin. But what I will say is, each of these guys so badly wants to finish the other that it isn't impossible that we see the exact same fight we saw the first time, <laughs> yeah. which is what you're going at. So again, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I don't see the first fight again. I see someone is finishing the other guy. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. that could happen. And it's five rounds. So you got a lot of extra time for that to come to fruition. Um, I might not have a play on this. You know what's funny? I want to watch this fight so bad that I don't necessarily want an ulterior side on it because I don't have to, Lou. We can pick and choose to when to be a fan, and we can pick and choose when to bet. And this one has just so much uncertainty, Mimi, and so much just going by the last fight of how close that really know. was. I'm going to be a fan on it, I think. I think I'm just going to enjoy this one, bud. Let's do that. Let's enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. My my profit will be made or lost before those two fights. Now, if I'm a couple units ahead and want to try and uh, get cute, you know, but maybe I get cute and I, I mean, even a Makachev uh, parlay to Chimaev is it, it doesn't it, it's a negative proposition, so that's not an option. So maybe again. Sometimes the best bet is the one not made, and maybe we just watch those two. I, I will say one thing. If it was anyone else but the 145, 
the <clears throat> champion from the featherweight, if it was anyone else, like Charles, Gaethje, Poirier, Benil Dariush, Chandler, Gamrot, I would be on Islam in some fashion. But I'm more scared of the guy that's in the lighter class just because of the way he fights, the tenacity, the size of his neck, the ferocity of him, the fact that he is Russian, he can wrestle. This is scary for me. If I'm going to fade Volk, it's going to be when Ilya Topuria fights him. It's not going to be right now, my friend. And I hope to see that one coming up because that's my next big uh, excitement coming in for uh, a matchup, Lou. Well, hey, man. We killed it. Uh, you went through all these great fights. I really appreciate you, everything you do for us here at the Ozbreakers. I'm so excited for you to go to the, to the game today. I'll be watching it myself. Hopefully, you'll get on camera or something. But uh, where could our listeners get your wonderful information and media? Well, Kev, thanks so much. I, I, I watch all your pods. I keep an eye on you on Twitter. The Ozbreakers do great work, offer great content. As far as me... Uh, Lou at gamblue.com for direct email. Gamblue.com is the webpage, daily blogs, all kinds of information. And soon enough, the Bout Business podcast will only be available on the Gamblue webpage. That's coming at the first of the year. And of course, don't forget, Friday morning early, we'll have the Bout Business podcast, which is my final releases for this UFC card. Those will be up by about 9 or 10 in the morning. But if you've listened to this podcast, my releases are not going to be much different than what you've just listened to. All right. Well, great stuff. Make sure you check out the Bout Business Podcast every single Friday after the weigh-ins. Lou, have a blast today. We'll be texting. Thanks so much and enjoy uh, the fights, Kiev and everyone listening. Good luck. This segment was brought to you by AG1. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder and water once a day? Every scoop is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food source ingredients of high quality that give me major benefits like gut and mood support, boosted energy, and even healthier looking skin, hair, and nails. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash ozbreakers or click on our podcast episode description. Now it is time for... The Sharp Side of the Force. Sharp Side of the Force is brought to you by Betfred Sports. For a $250 sign-up bonus, please visit theizebreakers.com slash Betfred. Terms, conditions, and location apply. All right. I mean, not a ton in the NFL. There were some movements. Saints plus one and minus two and a half hosting the Jaguars. 61% of the tickets and 83% of the money. But that game is gone after this is going to be done recording. Rams minus 2.5 to minus 3 hosting the Steelers 66% tickets 79% of the money Broncos plus 2 to plus 1 hosting the Packers 40% of the tickets and 63% of the money moving on to sharp totals the Browns versus the Colts under 42.5 to 41 97% of the tickets and 98% of the money Bills versus Patriots under 45.5 to 40.5 85% of the tickets and 89% of the money Steelers versus Rams over 42.5 to 44 64% of the tickets and 78% of the money there's just a lot of totals being hit under I mean I could probably say there's sharp money on every single one minus this uh Rams over so the totals are going under this year what can you do that's how it is. A uh, quick recap. We're going to, in the UFC, 
go with Saeed Nurmagomedov by sub slash decision for minus 150. We're going to go Walker by KO for plus 600. And then we're going to go Magomed by decision for plus 250. Uh, betting both sides of that fight. Kamzat Chimeyev over 2.5. Also for uh, two stars is going to be a big one at plus 130. And then the Mohamed Makayev wins by decision at plus 100. As far as the NFL, Lions plus three and Packers minus one for uh, three stars. And I'm going to put a link to the Bet MGM where you currently can get those lines. And hopefully they'll be solid by the time that you get this podcast. Check out our podcast description for that link. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. A huge thanks to Gamblu for coming on and breaking down the UFC 294. Everyone enjoy the fights, enjoy all the games, and go get some winners.